Everybody, this is my friend, uh, Danny. Buenos dias. Stop it. You're from Winfield. <laughs> Just kidding. You're not. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things in, um, in our church um, that I love is that um, recently, uh, it's been, I don't know, maybe Scott would tell me a more accurate number, but for like the last like 15 months that we've been gathering, one out of every three um, new visitors, and sometimes two out of every three new visitors that come to our church are Latino. I mean, Hope Reportage, here, right here, are Latino. Isn't that awesome? And uh, I just, I, I've been praying, you know, since before I even came here, God, would you just give us a church that, um, re- you know, shows us the beauty of heaven in a way where we learn from one another. You know, if you're all the same, you, you get blind spots, and if you, you um, if you're able to, you know, put aside differences and be able to understand each other, the beautiful cultures that are around you and the ways that God uh, shapes other people, um, it, it helps you become a more complete person and a better church. And so I just want to celebrate that and say, um, praise God for that. And, and uh, I don't know, I want to hear more Spanish around here and not less. And so I've asked uh, Danny to, uh, to just come today and read our scripture for us um, and then to pray for us. So with that in mind, um, you can open up to Romans chapter 15. Verses 14 through 19, I believe, yeah. Leemos de la palabra de Dios desde el libro de Romanos, capítulo 15, versículo 14 al 19. Romans 15, 14 through 19. Pero estoy seguro de vosotros, hermanos míos, de que vosotros mismos estáis llenos de bondad, de conocimiento, de tal manera que podéis amonestaros los unos a los otros. Mas os he escrito, hermanos, en parte con atrevimiento, como para haceros recordar por la gracia de Dios que me es dada para ser ministro de Jesucristo a los gentiles, ministrando el Evangelio de Dios, para que los gentiles les sean ofrenda agradable santificada por el Espíritu Santo. Tengo pues de qué gloriarme en Cristo Jesús en lo que a Dios se refiere. Porque no osaría hablar, hablar sino de lo que Cristo ha hecho por medio de mí para la obediencia de los gentiles con, las palabra, con la palabra y con las obras, con potencia de señales y prodigios en el poder del Espíritu de Dios. De manera que desde Jerusalén y por los alrededores hasta Ilírico, Todo lo he llenado del Evangelio de Cristo. And we read Romans 15, 14 through 19. I myself, I am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on one point I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work for God for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by the word and deed. 
by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. With those words, let's pray. Querido Padre que estás en los cielos, te damos gloria a ti, Señor, porque hay una iglesia en esta comunidad. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you because there is a church that serves by preaching the gospel in this community. Padre, te damos gloria porque solo tú has hecho eso posible y solo tú, a través de tu palabra, a través de tus siervos que has enviado y a través de todas las personas que están aquí reunidas, Señor, tú brillas grande, fuerte y poderoso en medio de esta comunidad. And we thank you because through your servants, through everyone who, is gather, who gathers here every Sunday, you shine bright and high and lift it up and, and people can come and, and, and worship you every Sunday. Pero asimismo, Señor, sabemos que todavía no podemos decir como el apóstol Pablo que por todo el lírico y por todas estas regiones lo hemos llenado del Evangelio. But we cannot yet say like the Apostle Paul that we have all filled it with the preaching of the gospel. There are many more that need to hear it. And we thank you for those new ones that come every week. But we ask, Lord, that for those that have, are not here, here. Y Señor, te agradecemos por aquellos que todavía, que vienen cada, cada, cada semana y pedimos, Señor, que tú sigas trayendo a aquellos que continuarán viniendo. And so, Father, we ask that because we trust that your Holy Spirit is at work. And we ask at this time, Lord, that you would be with uh, Pastor Jacobson as he brings the word to us. That, Father, he would bring words of hope, words from you, from your word. Oh, Father, we are broken, we are um, hopeless, we die without you. And so, Father, you are our only hope, you are our only life, you are life and salvation. And we look to you for life. We look to you for hope, we look to you for eternal life, we look to you for words of uh, salvation. And so, Father, this is your time, we wait on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Appreciate that, brother. Um, it, it just does my heart good to hear and be reminded that um, the gospel is global, right? The gospel is a, a, it's a much bigger than just where we are right here. And to, to have that even spoken into our church is a blessing today. Um, we, we are in a, a new phase of Romans. We're in the final stretch. How do you feel? You don't believe me is what you, you're like, ah, prove it, bro. Uh, John Stott is a commentator who wrote, he's from, from London, wrote a lot of great things. He said, uh, the exposition and the exhortation are over come Romans 15, 14. He says, what, what follows is the personal note of, of Paul. And I um, respectfully think that is bogus. I don't want to take issue with John Stott, in heaven he will own me um, with his brilliance. But uh, I believe the Holy Spirit inspired the word of God, regardless of whether Paul was making personal notes to the people in Rome or 
or, or not, or whether he's trying to explain the depths of the gospel. Here's what's happened in the letter so far, and not just the letter, but most recent. Um, Paul had just given you know, Romans 15, 6, therefore welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed you. This really great you know, Jew-Gentile coming together. This is what we've been talking about the past couple, couple of weeks, and last week Pastor Steve uh, really contextualized that for us um, together. And, and so what Paul's been doing is saying, here is, here is the pan-ethnic, the multi-ethnic, the all-world vision that the church has, um, and, and he moves to the ministry that the Gentile, that Paul has among the Gentile Christians. He's been talking about how Christ ministers amongst both the Jew and the Gentile Christian. Here, he talks about how Paul ministers about the Jew and the Gentile, but mostly to the Gentile. And then in a second, he's going to, well, not, not this week, but in the coming weeks, he's going to talk about how the Gentiles minister to the Jewish Christians. It's, it's really a, this unexpected thing. And the question that I think is being answered by Paul here, you know, is the same question that gets levied at me as a pastor sometimes for, you know, wandering outside of my lane. Paul, you're a preacher of the gospel. Just stick to the gospel. You know, what is it about all this Jew-Gentile stuff? Just give us the gospel. That's your job. And, and I think Paul is hearing this objection to the, from, from, the, from the Christians in Rome and anticipates it. He's done this the entire letter, and he does so with such skill. I mean, he, he says to them, I'm not worried about you, brothers. Uh, we'll, we'll talk when we get to Romans 16 about who these brothers are and sisters that Paul is not concerned about. Uh, but he says, I'm not worried about you. I know you. I know that you're full of goodness. Know that your ministry is, 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 is not the one that I'm really writing about. Have you ever given your kids a lecture because the kid that's not there did something wrong? Am I the only one? Like you came down with all the force of an Old Testament prophet amongst your youngest child because the oldest screwed up? Yeah, I, I think a little bit. Paul is reacting against something that maybe the people who did the problem weren't even there. And he's saying, look, look, I know this isn't your thing, but this is a possible thing. And so he says to them, I've come to you with, with boldness. And then in verse 17, he says, I, I also come to you with, with pride. I want to title this part of Romans for us today, The Proud Missionary. Up until now, in Romans, Paul has not shared much about himself. It's been pretty much just like a, here's the gospel of God. Here's what God does. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what the Spirit's doing. Here's what the church is. Here's what it looks like for us to come together. We've actually only had two moments that Paul has shared anything remotely personal about himself. And um, that seems striking to me, but that's how Paul has chosen to write his letter. And the, the first moment that we see that Paul has given us any indication about himself is found in uh, the first couple of verses of, of Romans chapter 1. You can flip in your Bible back to Romans 1, verses 1 through 6. I want to read the whole, all, all, all six of those verses right here. It says this. It says, Paul, and then he describes himself, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith 
for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who belong to Jesus Christ. Now, I know Danny was reading in Spanish and then in English, but you see some of the parallels between verses 1 through 6 of chapter 1 and verses 14 through 19 of chapter 15. He's, he's, he's saying that there's a calling to his ministry that is grounded in the gospel. And this gospel is to bring people into obedience to Jesus. And so Paul is essentially saying, here's who I am. I'm an apostle called by Jesus. The second time that Paul gives us any sort of personal, like autobiographical or personal reflection about his ministry is, is found in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. You can flip over there. Um, it says, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he says this. It's very quick. He says, coming out of this whole entire, you know, barrage against the Jews who refuse to believe in Christ, he says, chapter 10, verse 1, he says, my heart's desire is that they, non-believing Jews, would be saved. So not so much about like, you know, Paul's profession, Paul's favorite sporting team, what Paul's hobbies are. Not, nothing except for just simply, I'm an apostle and my heart is for lost people. And then we get to Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And Paul talks about himself. He finally gets to this point where it's very autobiographical, this, this moment where he, he says, here's my ministry. And he, he uses two words to describe his ministry. I already said, he said boldness, and, and he says, I'm, I'm, I'm proud. The first word, boldness, is a great word because all of us want to be bold, don't we? I mean, we follow the king. We follow Jesus. He gives us a sense of, of, of boldness to our life where you put your shoulders back, you stand up a little straighter, you say, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Like I have the one with all the power in the world. I want to be bold. You want to be bold? Yes, you do, is the answer to that question. I know it's cold outside, but I said bold, not cold. <laughs> right? You want to be bold. You want to be someone who stands out for Christ. Here's a trickier one. Do you want to be proud? <sighs> Ugh. The past two decades in evangelicalism, we've had a reckoning with pride in the church, haven't we? Particularly as it pertains to leadership. We, we, want, we want our lives to be lives that reject pride. That sing the words of that song, yet not I, but Christ in me. And I want you to look at verse, 15, or verse 17 for a second of chapter 15. Because Paul very clearly says, in Christ, therefore, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. How is it that Paul can say that he's proud? If for chapters he has railed against the very thing that he's claiming in the lives of the people he's serving. All throughout the book of Romans, he is arguing that you have nothing to be proud about. You have nothing. I mean, look at uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 27. He says, where is boasting? It's excluded. Why? Because of works? No, because of faith. That our whole entire faith removes the ability for us to be proud in and of ourselves. What are you proud of? In salvation, it's nothing. And Paul here says, oh, I'm proud. And why is that? How is that? He's a proud missionary. As Paul has looked back upon his ministry and back upon his motives for ministry, he, he says something that's incredibly shocking in his evaluation of what he's done. And it's something that I think is incredibly important for us today, too, who are Christians, 
who serve the Lord, who, who go about our lives trying to make him famous. The, the, the Christian work that we do is a word called ministry. Ministry is the biblical word that just simply says anything you do as a Christian to glorify God. It's ministry. Some of you do ministry uh, here in the church. You, you serve kids or you help with Verge or you sing a, you know, a song. That's ministry. Pushing buttons and technology. That's a, that's a ministry. Some of you have ministries on your jobs. You're a, you're a light in a dark place. It's a ministry, right? Tony, gosh, man, like Tony spends his own money every single week to be Willy Wonka for all of our kids. But, Tony, I get the sense from you that you've never done it because you want kids just to love church. You've done it because you want them to love God. Amen. That's a ministry. It's a work. It's a, it's a thing that you're doing to love the Lord. It's a ministry. I have, um, over the past six years that I've been here, often evaluated the Christian work, the ministry that happens here at our church. I've often evaluated my own ministry, my own work that I'm doing here for the Lord. Ask the question, are we doing the right thing? And if you've ever led a sixth grade boy small group, if you've ever played the bass, if you've ever, you know, mentored women, you, you can sometimes in your life, you can, you can get into the ministry and you can lose focus on what's important. It, all of a sudden it becomes, am I speaking in a way that's inflecting my tone in a way that you can hear me and understand me? Or, or am I, is my, if I wear a blazer, will you put me on preachers and sneakers? Like if I, if I, um, you know, like I can get off of the thing doing the ministry. And we always have to, whenever we do ministry, have a north star or, or a true conviction that helps us know, can we be proud of our work? How do you know if the work that you're doing is work that God wants you to be doing? How do you know if the ministry that we're doing is actually ministry that honors the Lord? Paul's going to give us three convictions right here from his own life that I am so glad that he does. Because for all of us who serve the Lord in some capacity, these three convictions have to be at the core of who we are, lest we drift away from the main thing and just replace that with either entertainment or, 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 or moralism or something that's, that's not as good as God. Three convictions. You ready to dive into this with me? Three convictions that Paul is going to unleash that if you can grab a hold of, you will, like Paul, be able to say, I'm not proud of myself. I'm proud of the work in God in me. Here we go. Y'all ready? Because I'm really excited to preach this, so keep up with me. First conviction is this. We see it right here in the text. All ministry is rooted in grace from God. You want to make a difference in, in your world? You want to be someone who ministers well in your workplace or, or, or wherever God has placed you? You got to realize this, that all ministry is rooted in grace from God. This is what Paul says. Look back uh, at verse 16. He says, uh, verse 15, but some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God. What is that grace? It's, it's undeserved kindness. What? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Of all people, Paul knew grace. If you remember the historical, biographical lesson of Paul found in the book of Acts. Uh, Paul used to be a man named Saul. He, he um, was a Pharisee that was a religious sect who was bent on honoring the Lord through all of their right knowledge and right works. The Pharisees um, were zealous people. They loved the Lord deeply, but they went about it in a way that was not the way that would honor the Lord. And Saul was the one who was standing there right by um, the side of Stephen when he was stoned. 
I hate every time I say the word stone because some of you perk up. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's when you were killed with stones, not the other thing. Saul was approving of the murder of Christians. Saul was someone who, who hated Jesus. And Saul in, in, in Acts chapter 9 is on the road to Damascus and, and the Lord Jesus calls to Saul and he blinds him and he shows him the power that Jesus has over his life and he sends him into Damascus to a house where, where there was a man who was going to come and, 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 and talk to him and touch him and give him his eyesight back. I love um, that story because in, in the, right in the middle of it, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, there's a man named Ananias who God talks to him and says, I want you to go down the way to the street to, to this house where, where Saul, the Pharisee, is there. And he's waiting for you to tell him about me. And Ananias is like, I've heard about Saul. He kills Christians. He, he exactly says, you know, he's, 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 he's um, against all those who call in your name, is what Ananias says. And he says, I call on your name. Don't you know anyone else in the community who can go talk to this guy? Ananias, no, you're my one. And then God says this to Ananias. He says, for he is my chosen instrument to carry my name to kings and to the world. And so Ananias goes. He talks to Paul. He calls him brother, which is a sign of family of God language. And this is what the gospel does. It takes people who used to be enemies and, and brings them together as brothers. And scales fall from his eyes. He sees and he de Saul dedicates his life to the mission of grace. Why? Because what Saul was seeking was law. Saul was seeking for people to fastidiously obey the Bible as it was literally explained to them. And Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He didn't do away with it. He just fulfilled it. He put a period on it. And he showed that grace is the operative means by people in the family of God. That we don't live by law. We live by grace. We don't serve by law. We serve by grace. And so Saul, Paul, spends his life going around preaching a gospel that it's not who you are. It's who he is. It's not what you've done, it's what Christ has done. It's not what you can give back to him, it's what he's given to you that gives you any sort of position to serve him. Saul knew something about grace. God chose him by grace, and it was God's good purpose and good intention for a guy like Saul to accomplish his Work and, and, and think about this for a second. I mean, I, could, I, I didn't struggle to figure out which verse to show you. I struggled to, to limit the verses that I could show you. I'll just go to this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. The, the same guy, the same guy from Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Uh, the same guy writes this to the church in Ephesus later. He says, for by, by what? By grace. You've been saved. Now, when, when, when Paul writes in Romans chapter uh, 15, verse 15, he says that it was, it was given to me as a grace from God. He's not saying that he was saved as a grace from God, but his ministry was given to him as a grace from God. There's something about this ministry that was a gift to Paul, aside from salvation. But check out how this works. For it is by grace you've been saved. All of us, if you're saved, you've been saved not because of what you've done, amen, but because of Christ. Amen? amen. Right. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of your work, so that no one may boast. And then... Um, we often stop there in Awana. I hope that our Awana books go one, one verse longer. 
for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? You know, you could replace that with the word ministry. For ministry. It's a, it's a Christian service, which God prepared beforehand. When I feel good about myself, I have to be reminded, Dan, you didn't do nothing. Before you were born, God knew what you would be doing for him. I, I, Dan, can I laugh about the fact that you're a sixth grade boys leader? Can, I, can we do that for a second? Is that okay? Because you're like a corporate executive and like, you know, you, yeah. Um, but but I, God knew that in 2021, you would be loving young men in him, right? I used to be a sixth grade boys leader. There's a reason I'm not. <laughs> and, 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 um, and so I look at that and I think, how amazing that before, bef- before you were even saved, God knew, I'm going to call my son Dan to, to love these people for this season here. I don't know what it is, the ministry that you do, but whatever it is, it's been given to you by, by God as a grace, a grace because he saved you in grace and he gives you a purpose in grace. Thank you for letting me. I, I, and I love your heart, brother. I, I super appreciate it. I think um, because our, our faith isn't something we drum up, but it's a gift of grace from God, likewise, we need to recognize that our ministry here as a church is a grace from God. I think there's a big temptation. Why, you, you might be sitting there going, why does this even matter, Dan? Like, what, what's the point? The point is this. There's a big temptation in churches like ours today to measure what matters by how many people stream their videos or sit in their seats. Isn't that right? Have you ever had the unfortunate you know, moment where you've stood between two pastors who don't know each other who just met? It's the worst conversation. It goes like this. Hey, where do you pastor? I'm over here. Oh, where is that at? It's over there. Oh, that's cool. How, how big is your church? And then someone's going to say a number. The other person's going to add a zero to their number. And then the conversation's going to stop. I hate it. Sometimes I, what I want to say is, like, like my church, it, it includes people from all over the county, all over the state, all over the nation, all, all over the globe. Plus, not only that, it includes the people who came before generations all the way back to Pentecost. That's the church that I get to serve in. Because it, it like, like, I can't impress you with the ministry that God's given me. Why? Because it's not mine. And, and this is what I want to say to all of us is that our hearts are so tricked into thinking, you know, more dollars or more people unless those people are connected to the grace of God. You know, the grace that God does in salvation. We are fooling ourselves with the wrong metric. We're fooling ourselves with things that don't, don't actually show the gospel. I um, think when Paul says, because of the grace that was given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus, he's rooting his ministry in the sovereign, powerful grace of God, not in his own, whatever it might be, political capital or his own philosophical prowess or his own personal strategies or emotionally healthy leadership. He's saying, I have received this by grace. This is something that I didn't choose for myself. I didn't earn it. I didn't have this given to me because of my wit or my charisma or my TikToks. I simply am a servant of Christ. And I'm always suspicious of people who are building their own platform. As if we could say by our own human will, 
that we could leverage God's gracious will. And I, I say that to you more reflective upon my own heart than I expect it to be helpful for your heart. Um, what we see from Paul is, is that the grace-filled minister, that the calling and the scope and the size of the ministry is not something that we get to determine, but something that we discover. I'm going to say that again. We learn from Paul that the grace-filled minister does not determine his, his or her own ministry, but discovers what God has for them. It's this simple act of one step after another through one open door after another to say, God, whatever you have is what we'll do. Amen? I can think of a lot of examples to share here, but I, I think of the example of my own wife. Kristen, um, you all know that Kristen's a better preacher than me. You all know that Kristen's a better leader than me. You know that she's an incredibly... It, all the women said amen. It's fine. Uh, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I know it's true. Um, a lot of her life has been spent following the way that God has led the ministry he's given to me. And at every step of the way, as you know, the Lord has given me something to do, I've watched with awe as God's given her something to do. I mean, we came out here to Bethel and we were slapping hands away saying, no, she just wants to stay at home and raise kids. And the Lord hasn't had that plan for her. And I'm amazed, you know, you know if, if I was a, a prideful or, or even like a fleshly person thinking about my job as a career and not as a ministry, I would say, man, she's got better opportunities to serve Jesus than I do. And how did that happen? I love this about my wife. I said, hey, should I set you up a website? She goes, why? I, like, I don't know, because you could do more. She goes, eh, God will figure it out. And this is, this is the heart that I love, that I just want to admire and say, friends, don't be expecting out of your church a, a, a posture of professionalism or breadth of ministry. Instead, let's let the Lord, where we are, allow us to take us to the most random places in the most securitous ways to let his glory be seen. That's the point. I think what we learn from this proud missionary Paul is that all of our confidence and work comes not from our own victories, but God who works in us. Paul's proud. That's number one. Not because of his own self, but because of the grace of God. Number two, here, here, here it is. Look at verse uh, 16 with me. He says, Because of the grace given to me by the gospel of, or by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. That's that's a, a kind of a throwaway line, but it's a huge impact for us here because it shows us that all ministry has to be focused on the gospel of God. How do you know that you're doing ministry that actually matters? At the core of what you're doing is you're helping people see the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. God's given us this gift as a responsibility to steward, but he's also allowed us to have a special message in the midst of our special ministry. The message is that of Christ, of Christ. It took me a few passes uh, in my study this week to understand that, that verse. I, I think you could put up on the screen there, Candy, uh, of what, what he says. He says, on some points I've written to you, um, that third line, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. I, I had to look at a translation or a paraphrase this week. It says this, for by God's grace, I'm a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. 
I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made by the Holy Spirit. This is another bold move by Paul because he's taking priestly imagery, saying his work amongst all peoples, the ethne, was the work that an Old Testament priest might do. It was like a priest of the gospel. So very quickly, I won't spend much time here, but the Jews had this whole sacrificial system and they had priests who were instituted by God to run the, the sacrifices, to make sure that people were right with God. And the priest's one job was to act as an intermediary between the people and God. I learned about it this way in, in Bible school, that a prophet would, you know, God's up here, the people are here. A prophet would turn around and say, this is what God says, but a priest would turn around with the people behind him and say, here's what the people need. It's the in-between between God and the people of God. And the Old Testament priests would make sacrifices and make prayers and, and would, would work on behalf of the people. Why? So that they might be right with God. And Paul understands what she's gone through in all of the book of Romans that what makes us right with God is not our sacrifice of an animal, but a sacrifice of our own lives upon the altar because of God's grace. And he says, my work has been done in the priestly service of the gospel, meaning my whole life has been spent telling everyone the good news, letting them know, God, we are here for you. And, and what's interesting about this is that when people get saved in Paul's ministry, when they come to faith in him, he doesn't do what a lot of churches around here, and what I've been tempted to do too, he doesn't take those new believers and then try and make them fit a cultural mold within the church. He, he, he actually, this is what it literally means, he takes the new believers, the fruit of his ministry, he lifts them up to God as an offering and says, God, do with these people what you will. A lot of Christians today will preach or at least model the gospel, this, this idea that, you know, only Christ can save you. A lot of people have been praying for kids who have not yet come to faith in the Lord and they're getting into their 20s or 30s and you've had friends who tell you, you know, you can't save anybody, right? Just keep praying for them. And we'll carry this attitude of like, you know, you can't save them. It's the gospel that saves them until the moment they get saved. And then I, I watch as our heart takes over, and, and what we knew wouldn't save them was us. But then once they get saved, we think what's going to sanctify them is us. Someone gets saved, and then all of a sudden they're doing 6 a.m. Starbucks, you know, with the guy who's beating law into them. Saying, now you got to do this, now you got to do this, now you got to do this, now you got to act like this, now you got to wear this, now you got to say this, now you got to stop this, stop this, stop this, stop this, stop this. I've seen around here, we win people to, the go to, to, to Christ with the gospel, and then we sanctify them in our own morality. And what did Paul do? Paul said, no, I, I operated as a priest among the Gentiles, and, and, and they were the offering. I, I gave them up to God, and, and I realized, look at the next words. You might have to have your Bible open. I don't know. If, oh, yeah, there it is. Boom. So that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by who? A little louder for the ones in the back. The Holy, the Holy Spirit. If we realize that our ministry is, is, is a gift from the Lord and that the whole central focus is on the gospel, then what that means is we have to be a people who live by the Spirit and trust that the Spirit, as the gospel is being applied, is going to work on the lives of people. Far better for us 
to take the people that God's put in front of us and to lift them up like a priest. A priest was an intermediary. What, you know, our women who studied uh, Hebrews chapter 7, you know that Jesus is the great high priest who makes intercession on our behalf. That's the word, intercession. It, it means prayers. Prayers on our behalf. That Christ is in heaven going between the Father and us, pleading our case before him today. That's a beautiful picture of the ministry of Christ right now. What is the priestly service of the gospel? It's that as God gives us people to minister the gospel to, one of the greatest things we can do is to keep putting them before the Lord in prayer. This is why in chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, it's my earnest desire that they would be saved. You get the sense that Paul wasn't just angry about the people who wouldn't come to Christ, but he had spent time on his knees pleading with the Lord, would you show them how good you are? That's the role of a priest. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that we, as the church, are a are a kingdom of priests, which means you and I all have this ministry together, that we would be lifting one another up to the Lord together. It's not Scott's job. It's not my, I mean, it is Scott's job, and it is my job, but it's also your job as well. Ministry has to be focused on the gospel of God. I think Paul beautifully demonstrates this confident ministry, this confident missionary approach, because he understands it's the gospel and only the gospel that we as a people can throw down on. Everything else belongs to the Lord. I'm reminded, um, before I move on, of just that phrase that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. He says, early on, he says, I make my prayers for you. I always pray with you with joy in my heart because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will Carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who carries on the work? God. Our job is to keep the gospel central. Finally, it's this. Maybe it all comes together in this for you. So, so all ministry is rooted in the grace of God. All ministry is focused on the gospel of God. And then Paul shows us at the end of this uh, section here, all ministry is a miraculous work of God. And I want us to think about that today because I wonder if you believe that miracles still happen. I wonder if you think about what we do here on a weekly basis and what you do on a weekly basis in Awana and with, it's a little easier to see it with maybe sixth grade boys when the miracle happens, I guess. Um, but, but whatever you do in your world where you see the ministry actually bearing fruit, it is a work of God which is miraculous. Here's what Paul says. He, he says this, uh, verse 16, we'll start there. To be a minister of the Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, in Christ Jesus then I have reason to be proud of my work in God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And then he lists three, three, three groupings here. By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Illyricum was literally the, 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 the country or the city next door to Rome. If you draw it on a map, you go from Jerusalem to Rome, you're going to go from Jerusalem all the way through to Illyricum, and then you're going to be in Rome. Paul is saying, there's no more space left for me to minister the gospel anymore because why? 
because I've committed my life to it. And so, so here's, here's what we see. All of ministry is a, is a miraculous work of God. This, this, I think, is really it. This is really the secret sauce of every Christian who understands the gospel. That God uses ordinary people in outsized, extraordinary ways. He says in Christ, I'm proud of the work that I've done, which is coy. He can cover himself in confidence because he recognizes that it's Christ's miraculous work that he's doing. Verse 18, he says, I'm not going to say anything to you except for what Christ has accomplished through me. And then he says these three kinds of ministry, by word and by deed, by power and by wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. I think um, we have to remember who has done all of this. Remember, and by reading the entirety of this section, who's, who does all this? It's, it's Christ. Through whom? Through Paul. The book of Acts tells us that Paul did many um, miraculous things from, from healings to casting out demons to raising a boy from the dead. These miracles, they serve to authenticate the words of the apostles, which 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says this. It says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Anyone else, like if you could draft up your own ministerial resume, you're, you're kind of like, if you're going to lie in your resume, this is what you'd put, raised Eutychus, the little boy who fell out of a window from the dead. I've got that on my resume. I'd like to be a small group leader at Bethel Church. How does it sound that I've raised a young boy from the dead? Will that work? No? That won't work? That, that should work for you because I, I raised this. I, maybe you don't understand. He was dead, and then I raised him from the dead. That was the miracle to authenticate the ministry God's given me. He came back to life. Paul's, like, like Paul's got this on his resume, and yet he says... Um, my pride is not in myself. It's, it's, um, I'm proud because I'm a minister of Christ. That's verse 16. I'm a minister in Christ. That's verse 17. And everything was done through Christ. That's verse 18. Verse 19 says that it's all for Christ. So Paul is not humble bragging here. He's not looking for a backhanded compliment to feel good about himself. No, he's, he's legitimately proud of the work that Christ has done in him. And I think this is the posture for us to take today. That it's not me, it's, it's Jesus, the power of God and the work of his spirit that does all of it. And I'm just an ordinary person that God has met with his extraordinary grace. He's given us a special ministry with a special message. and We know nothing except Jesus. How do we do this? Well, it's, it's, he, he says the three that he, he gave was word and deed. In a truth culture, this is huge because we can say the right words and then deny the message with our actions, can't we? A lot of Christians deny with their actions what they say with their words. And Paul says, you know me. I lived, you saw how I lived your, my life while I was around, among you. You know that everything I have is Christ. In word and deed, do you, have you lost the wonder of the Bible? I think sometimes we... Um, We've reduced the scriptures to an app on our phone or we reduce it to a four-second audio clip that we listen to or a minute in the day. I never want to forget that the Bible is a miracle. 
It's, it's this miraculous word of God that has been preserved throughout all cultures and times and that God still speaks to us today. That as we minister the word, there is a miracle happening in this place. We may not, you know, see someone literally um, come back to life because of the preaching. And, and actually, um, Pastor Brad almost killed a few people while he was preaching. And so you can ask him about that later. But, um, but the miracle that happens when the word of God takes root in the heart of a person is life-changing. I mean, I look around this room and I think of the people who have, who have come to faith in Jesus over the past, you know, you came and you sat here for a year and a half and you didn't know if this was true or not, but, but there was something about the word that, that brought you near to God. Word, and Paul says the deeds. I, I, I live my life among you and just living his ordinary life was seen as a miracle. But then he says this. He says, um, and the power of signs and wonders. This is where in a truth church we get a little iffy. But in a supernatural culture, this is huge. Because you can claim to know God, but if you don't see evidence of God breaking through to our actual world today, your message is false. Signs and wonders. You know that we actually see these today? Let me tell you one story. A couple weeks ago there was a, a dear woman from our church, this campus, usually sits right over there who found out that her malignant uh, tumor in her brain was growing again. And under the advice of her doctors, they sent her up to Mayo Clinic for her second brain surgery. She was given six months to live three years ago. And, and the recurrence rate of the type of cancer that she has is incredibly high. It's, it's very rare that anybody would actually survive past a year. But in her first bout with this, God just showed up and, and, and actually put her into remission. And their, their prayer was for healing. And the doctor said, we don't understand it, but you're healed. And then this, this past year, something started growing again. And so they went back through the whole entire process and sent her up to Mayo and got in there, took out the tumor. And the pathologist read the report and found out that everything about the tumor was benign. <laughs> Pathologist said to her husband, um, have you seen the report? He said, no. He goes, I can't believe it. There's no cancer at all. I, I wish you knew how much this couple prayed. I wish you knew how much they spent on their knees. I, I wish you knew... The, the, the vast amount of pleading to the Lord to see that sign. Let me tell you a story about another woman who had the same exact type of cancer who was the mom of one of Kristen and I's dear friends. She worked in um, Campus Crusade up in La Crosse, Wisconsin for over 30 years, had many kids. Their oldest is a daughter who's a dear friend of Kristen and mine's. They prayed so hard for six months for their mom. And then God took her. Same cancer, same issue, same prayers, same God. Both miraculous. Why? 
Because what is a miracle? A miracle is just a work of God in the human world. Her kids that she left behind know God better today because she is gone. Their faith has been tested and they've tested the Lord and are finding him to be good. Sometimes a miracle takes our life. And sometimes the miracle is that God gives us our life. But regardless, wherever the spirit of God is present in the life of a person, it is in itself a miracle. Signs and wonders, I mean, they're all around us if we would eyes to see the work of it. And then Paul says this, by the power of the Spirit of God. In a theistic culture, this is huge because um, you could have any type of power working, animated forces working, but the Spirit of God working. And here's the bottom line. I, I hope for us as a church, as we look at Paul's ministry, that we may not have just a consistent ministry today of, you know, trying to heal people from their addictions or their diseases and dealing with surface issues, but that, that, that we would actually realize that God is at work among us using regular people that he's given a gift of ministry to. All of us, given a gift of ministry to. For us to keep our eyes focused on the gospel and our message focused on the gospel that God has done something for us. And in that simple two foundational truths that we would then see the third thing so clearly. That everything that comes as a result of those two convictions is itself a miraculous work of God. I, it's a miracle. I don't mean this like pejoratively, but it's a miracle when my five-year-old son comes home from Awana knowing the word of God. It's a miracle uh, like we're going to see in the second service if you want to stick around. We're going to baptize a 15-year-old girl today who's going to publicly demonstrate the fact that she has been saved by God. That is a miracle. And you... And me. I know myself. I wanted to be a lawyer and using my wit and intellect and snarkiness in a courtroom. I didn't know it when I was 15, but I wanted to drive a Tesla. I was selfish and I was self-centered. I saw the world and all it had to offer. But then God saved me. He's done a miracle. What about you? What's that work that God's done in your life? And here's the question. Do you feel like you own it? Or do you know it's from him? 